Psalms 85 and verse 6. I want you to open the Bible to Psalms 85 and verse 6. I'll continue what I said last Sunday. The title was simply Revival. And it centers around the word revive or reviving, which, as I said last week, vive or viva is a word for life. Vida, viva, even in France, they say viva la France, you know, long live France. So it's, viva is a word for life, and revive is to have known life, maybe not experiencing it or not enjoying it, but then you get refreshed or in the spiritual sense, you have a visitation from God and what was once given that was kind of set aside comes back again. You're revived. Much like if you refinish furniture, you don't buy another piece of furniture. You refinish the old one and so on and so forth. But we're talking about being revived and mainly centering around not those who are lost, though it would include that, in bringing them to Christ. But my purpose in the message is more about Christians who really aren't living the kind of life they should live. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And his word brings to us life. It's not a stagnant existence we have on this earth if we have life. We don't just drift along and hope for the best and moan and groan and mope like blind men in darkness trying to figure out how to make it through another day and just groaning. It's not like that if we understand what life is. We have those experiences. Those experiences do come, but they don't have that effect on us because we have something with which we can combat life's forces. We wrestle not against people, the Bible said, but against the devil and against his kingdom. And when he comes, we are to bring forth the weapons of our warfare, which are shown to us in the Bible. This is how we live. We don't just read that and say, well, that's good. But no, this is how we live. We live like this. We're Christians. We have a sword. We have a shield. We have promises with the sword and the shield. That's what they do for us. They quench everything the devil throws at you, and the sword is a piercing instrument that we Christians are equipped with. It's part of our life. It's how we live. We're not living as defeated people. We live, and we triumph daily in Christ. So the word revive for us means an awakening. It's a visitation. And as I said last week, it's a stirring of religious faith amongst those who have become indifferent. And I've watched this happen. I know it does happen. And sometimes it happens way too easy for people who just see their hope is sitting in a church service and yet walking out the door living as they have been and not living as they should. So one of the things we do in teaching people is to point out the fact that this is the way that we should walk. This is the attitude we should walk with. This is the way we handle our difficulties. This is how we cope. This is how we wrestle. But in the end, this is the triumph that we have, that God will help us. Christ in us is greater than the world we're facing. And that's the way it should be. If you'll go back to 1 Samuel chapter 7, we were in 1 Samuel 7, pointing out in verses 1, 2, and 3, first of all, that the ark 
a sacred piece of furniture. And let me point out something. I misled you on Wednesday night. I said that there was no ark in Solomon's temple. I meant Herod's temple. The ark was made and put in the first temple, which was a tent of meeting in the wilderness, just covered with skins. The ark was the most sacred piece of furniture probably ever made, ever will be made. And Indiana Jones, as I said, may be looking for it, but he'll never find it because it's in the last verse of Revelation 11. John saw the ark in heaven. And what happened probably was, you know, the first tent led to the entrance into the promised land. Eventually, David said, I'm going to build a house for God to replace that tent. God said, no, your son will. You're a bloody man. You're not going to do it. But Solomon will. Solomon built quite a place, a show place, and there was, the ark was put in his holy of holies in the temple. And then when the attitude of the people and the heart of the people succumbed to all the idolatry around them and they began to act like the Moabites and the Hittites and the Havites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and all the other rites and the Ixantics, they were all probably Canaanites anyway then God's displeasure with those people allowed them to be taken into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar came, destroyed the temple, tore it down, and the ark has disappeared at that point. When Ezra and Nehemiah came back, they built a little temple. Uh, they built a temple which Herod refined and glamorized, but there was no ark in it. There was no presence there. Now, when this ark was captured... In chapter 6 of 1 Samuel, when the ark was captured in a battle by the Philistines, they took it into their country, which caused them much trouble. They couldn't wait to get rid of it and get it back in Israel. So they put it on a cart, and the animals brought it back, and they put the ark in the house of Abinadab because there was no temple to put it in. So they put it in Abinadab's house, and they put a priest in charge of it because only the priests could ever have anything to do with the ark. And it was there for 20 years in that house. Actually, it remained there for about 40 years because it was David who brought it back. Remember, David danced before the Lord. He had prepared a place, a little tent there for the ark. But for 20 years, the story goes like this. For 20 years, the Jewish people, with all their rich heritage and religious display, they had none of that. They had no temple. They had no Ark, their religion was sort of dead because the people's hearts were dead. They had no favor from God. They were not doing well. They were slaves to the Philistines. They had been captured. They were subdued. There was no joy. There was no anything amongst the people. And it says in 1 Samuel 7, in verse 2, And it came to pass, while the ark abode at Kerjath-Jearim, that... The time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the ark. Lamented is a way of seeing your need that's not being met and sorrowing because of it. And lots and lots of people are there today. Lots and lots of church folks are there. They are lamenting because something is wrong. Something is not working. The ink on the pages of my Bible are not the experience of my heart. I cannot say that what is written here is what is happening in my life. Something is wrong. 
God speaks of victory and peace and joy, and yet we're not experiencing peace and joy. He speaks of all the things that he brought for us in the atonement, and yet we live as the world lives. Something is dreadfully wrong. It shouldn't be like this. Now, the people were realizing that. With God, who was on our side and all the religious heritage that we have, look at us. All these promises that God has made, and we are captives to a heathen people. We don't even know what to do. We have no power. We have no might. Our ark is locked up in a house. And when they did take it out to battle, they thought, well, we'll take the ark out to Philistines. 30,000 of us died. It didn't work. Something is wrong. And God said, because you know what? God cares. He could leave you like that. God is under no obligation to change anything. When a man's heart goes sour with God, when a man starts making the wrong choices, when God said, this is the way walking, he said, well, I don't know about that. I'm not ready for that right now. I got other things to do. I'll be back. And you begin to drift and you begin to go away. We call it backsliding. Just veering off the straight and narrow path. But remembering what you, a little bit, yeah, I I see you, God. I'll be there Sunday morning. But going off and you're drinking and you're gambling and your jokes and your foolishness and your carousing and all this anti-Christian lifestyle that we, well, I go to church. (laughs) And we drift away and we backslide and then it begins to happen. Nothing's working right. What good is it to pray? Who really cares? Where's God? Where's God in heaven? If he's uh, all he said he was, then what, what? Come on. Why even come here? See, those are the voices of those that are lamenting. And the more they lamented, the more they began to seek God, we read in our history, our people have been bad before, but you brought us back. And Lord, nothing's going on here. Here's what God said, because he's good. Verse 3. And Samuel spoke unto all the house of Israel, saying, If, now here's your chance, here's your chance. If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then do this. Put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. Prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from all this deadness, all this bondage, all this captivity that you're currently experiencing and talking about. All of this life with no answers, desperation. And he'll deliver you from all of that. Turn everything around so that the way it's supposed to be comes back and there is joy and there is peace. There's victory over your enemies. There's success here. There's success there. 8,000 promises that God made, especially when you were doing things God's way. When you live his way, everything worked. You read it? It's quit working when they turned away from God. It always works that way. But when they were doing things God's way, everything worked for them. It worked. That was their testimony. And joy was the expression of it. 
That's why when they went into captivity, their captors said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. We've heard about your all's joy. They said, we don't have any joy anymore. See, joy is the first thing that goes when you go. The first sign that you need to be revived is when you quit rejoicing. That's a telltale sign. Or if you can clap a few times and sing a couple of hymns in amazing grace with your eyes shut, but your heart's far from it. Those are telltale signs. Those are signs that you need to be revived because you're drifting backwards. So he said to us this morning, if you return. Now, here's what you can do. It doesn't mean you will. I'm sure you're going to listen because you're here, but it doesn't mean you'll do it. But if you want to come back, get restored, refreshed, experience visitation and be turned around. If you do, he said, there's three things that you do. One is you put away these gods. Gods are whatever takes your time and whatever captures your affections, whatever you find yourself really looking forward to the most. It's your life. Whatever it is, whether it's sports, whether it's your family activities or your job, money, comfort, ease, and happiness, whatever it is that gets between you and God. God's small g could be many, many things. But he says, whatever it is, you'll know it. You'll know it. You put that aside first because that's what's drawing you away. What drawing you away, you get rid of. You turn away from that. Then he said, then you got to prepare your hearts. We're going to go back to that this morning. Prepare your hearts. Because you see, the heart is the focus of your life. What you are in your heart, you are. That's why God can search the hearts. Do you remember this in Matthew 15 and verse 8 and Isaiah 29, and I think in verse 12, where God said, this people draws nigh to me with their mouth. But you got the right words in your mouth. You're singing the right songs. No problem. He said, this people draws near to me with their mouth. But he said, but their heart is far from me. In Isaiah's quote of that was Jesus quotes. He said, they have removed their hearts far from me. It's not like somebody took it. The word when it said they removed was a choice they made. I removed my heart far from me. I did that. I just wasn't into it anymore. We've sang that song so much for the last three years that I've been saved. I'm kind of getting tired of singing. I don't have any feeling when I sing it anymore, so I'm not going to act like I do. I'm just not going to sing. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. What about the sacrifice of praise? Is that hypocritical? How many of you have ever heard the sacrifice of praise? How many of you believe that when they brought a sacrifice into the temple area, they all felt good every time they brought one? Ah, here's my sacrifice. I think there was probably days they were down to three little lambs and the best one he had was the one he had to give up. And there wasn't much for sacrifice because the heart is wrong. God said, it's not blood I want. I want your hearts. I want you and what you are, you are in your heart if you're anything. You remember what Jeremiah said? He said, a man's heart is deceitful above all things. He began that little section in Jeremiah 17 
by saying, you know, curse is a man that trusts in the arm of the flesh and blessed is a man that trusts in the Lord. Well, he wasn't talking about your curse if you have your taxes done by somebody who you don't know how to do it. So you call him to do it. He's talking about if you think you can avoid, because Jeremiah was talking about captivity and disaster coming. He said, if you think you can escape this riding on your horse, a horse is a vain thing in judgment or your army or anything else. He goes on to say, you know, blessed is a man whose trust is in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, whose heart embraces God. Who no matter what's happened, I don't know what's going to happen, but with my heart, I'm going to count on God to take care of it. He'll be blessed. But then he says in verse 9, you know, the heart, the heart is so deceitful. Because at one time with your heart being deceitful and ugly, you can praise amazing. You can just sing and smile and act so wonderful and your heart is desperately wicked. Because the motivations of your heart were evil. But man can play the role. A hypocrite is always one with an evil heart. Because he's a manipulator, motivator. He plays the roles, whatever gets him the advantage. That's the way he acts. I think preachers do it all the time. It's a hypocritical thing. You're trying to gain the favor of people. I think if you want to gain the favor of people, you need to preach a softer message. Oh, people like that. But... The heart is what God sees. He said, now, if you want your situation to turn around to where you do experience what God has promised, and you can give a testimony of God's true blessing among the three things he said, you're going to have to prepare your heart. Your heart's your problem. Your heart. Your heart, that's your problem. Listen to this. You cannot prepare your heart without... God's assistance. In other words, you cannot sit here one day and decide, you know what, I'm not doing so good. I think I'll just, okay, heart, let's go. Doesn't work like that. Listen to what the book of Proverbs said. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The preparations of the heart in man is from the Lord. It can only be done as God inspires it. This is not some kind of a religious routine. It is not some little booklet answer we give to how we're going to prepare our hearts. Only God can do this. When you humble yourself before the Lord, again, quoting Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 7, God said, I will give them a heart to know me. We can't know him without that. We can know about him. We can teach and preach and point out this and point out that. But you can't come into what we would call communion. Communion, to have an affection for, a desire for communion with the Lord unless God does it. You can sit here week after week and wonder why it doesn't work for you. Well, there's probably a lot of reasons that it doesn't. But messages like this today is to teach us to examine ourselves. Do you want God's best? I mean, do you want his best? Then you got to live on his terms. Because Christianity is living on Christ's terms. Somebody has to tell us. Somebody has to seek it. But if you tell it and you'll seek it, you'll find it. But what you do with it is a choice you have to make because we live by choices. 
You've got to be willing to let go of those idols. You've got to be willing to turn your heart towards the Lord and begin to give it to him in everything. All kinds of ways. He said, listen to this. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people. I will be their God for they shall return unto me with their whole hearts. These are the people of God. This is the kind of people that God wants us to be. But it's got to start with the heart. Turn to Psalm 111 briefly. Just want to read two or three verses of Psalm 111 to point out to you how important the condition of your heart is. Psalms 111, praise ye the Lord, verse 1. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. In the assembly of the upright and in the congregation, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. That's what the seeking is about. The works of the Lord are sought out by those who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Now remember the word compassion. But this is the way it should be. You can look in Psalm 119. In verse 2 of Psalm 119, he said, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart. Or in verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. In verse 34, he said, give me understanding and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Verse 58, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. And again, just for briefly, verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. The word word or commandment or law or precepts is mentioned in every verse in this book, in chapter 119. A magnification of the word of God. The word of God is just a book of words until they're in your heart. Until they're in your heart, you're never going to change. You're never going to be guided by something you're not willing to keep in your heart. You can't walk in a way you're not willing to walk in. Nor can you walk in a way you don't know. The Bible said that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And Jeremiah also says that a man cannot know the way by himself. But when God shows it to you, it doesn't mean you'll do it. It means you can. If you will return, Samuel said. There's a choice that comes to us on coming back to the Lord because we are preparing our hearts. The deepest, innermost part of me is preparing my heart because here's what will happen. First Chronicles 16, 9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose hearts are perfectly his or perfect before him. Now, if God says he's running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show his strength or his power in those whose hearts are perfectly his, wouldn't you love the Lord to show his strength in you every day? I mean, you read about his strength and his power. Who can resist God, the Bible says? 
Who can stay your word? Nobody. And when the word is living and alive in your heart, and God is backing the word because your heart is his, like Paul wrote in Romans 8, who can be against me? Whom should I fear? Of what should I be afraid? If God be for me, who can be against me? And yet there are thousands more who could not say that because everything seems to go against them. And we do have trials and troubles in this life. They're not designed to defeat you. You can fail. You don't have to fail. God uses those to refine you. And they should make you more of the kind of person that God wants you to be. It's up to you, folks. It's up to us and our choices. Personally, I want to live revived. I want life to be a daily enjoyment in my life. I want to be free from worry and stress and fear and uncertainty about the world, the economy, the laws and this. And you listen to all those talk shows and they just wear you out. They just snatch the word of truth right out of your heart because they make you fret and they make you afraid. God doesn't make you afraid. God gives you the victory. Thy words were found and I did eat them, Jeremiah said, and thy words were unto me the joy. And what else? The rejoicing in my heart. What is the secret to your peacefulness about everything in this life? Doesn't the Bible say something about be ready always? Doesn't it say that be ready always to give an answer? To the preacher when he asks you? Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you. Your good outlook. Your good expectation. God's already in my tomorrows. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about today. Jesus said five times in Matthew 6, take no thought. That means don't worry. Do not be anxious. Do not fret. Don't you have an answer for what you're fretting over? Is there a money answer? Is there a money answer in the Bible? Maybe you shouldn't be in such debt. What's that got? It could have a whole lot to do with it. The Bible said, oh, no man, anything. And you pile it up and pile up debt and then want God to rescue you. Those are Philistines. Those are Philistines. They own and you. Look at all your little toys you turn to them to get. And now they're all tarnished and gone and you got all this debt, nothing to show for it. God do something. He said, now I've already done something. You do something. You turn away from these gods. Get rid of all that stuff. Lay down your way and take up my way. Turn to the Lord with all your hearts. Don't fret about that because God sees the heart. I got to have a heart. A cheerful and good and joyful heart. Well, then let me show you today in the New Testament, Luke 15, the reviving of God and the preparation of the human heart. Because he's talking about preparing your heart. Luke 15. Now, if this is not familiar to all of you, then you're new. 
You've never been to church. This is the story of the prodigal son. Actually, it begins with several parables. A man who loses a sheep, a woman who loses a coin, and then the prodigal son. We call it the prodigal son. Verse 11, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divideth them into his living. Now, we probably think I would today if one of my youngsters came to me and said, I want what is mine. And I say, who said it was yours? That's what I would say. Who said it was yours? I want mine like the Bible. said. Well, who said what I have is yours? See, verse 31 in this book says, and he said to them, son, to the other brother, all I've ever had is yours. You don't have to ask for it. It's yours anyway. Well, the younger son knew that. Now, I'm thinking, and I'm trying to make a picture of this. This younger son had been around his father. I'm going to think it's it's like the Lord. And he's heard his messages. He's heard his beliefs. He's aware of his belief system, how he functions and how he operates. But he grew tired of it. Same old, same old. How's that? Every time I go to church, it's the same songs, the same old drumming of the this and maybe adding a whistle or a, you know, something or, you know, maybe it's Bruce, I don't know. And then he preaches for his hour and 12 minutes. Then we stand up and he said, turn to somebody and say this. And we go, same old stuff. See, it is impossible for God to speak to anybody in a place like that. God cannot speak if you preach his word that somebody's already heard. I'm being facetious. Listen, we could read the 23rd Psalm on Sunday morning and that's all we read. And after a month, some of you wonder whether you ought to go back or not, probably. But I would promise you this. If it's anointed, you'll hear something new or God will show you something that you haven't seen before every week. You know, hey, it's the heart. How you come in that door. How I come out here. It's the heart. Sometimes we lay aside our receptacle, our little, here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this. Thirsting of my soul, we quit thirsting. We tasted of the good water of life once, but we, it's just the same old, same old. Man, I want, I want something new. Let's, let's, do, let's, let's get involved in something like the religious folks do. Let's get involved in something. And God says the greatest thing that will ever come to your life is the word of God. And when he gives you understanding of it, that is a treasure you need to find. But when you come in that door, everybody in this room, those who listen, what you get out of anything God has to say from whoever says it really depends on what's in your heart. Whether you appreciate it and rejoice over it or not depends on what you are in your heart. And if there's nothing there, then nothing comes out of there. If there's nothing here, nothing goes in there. Amen. How many of you believe that Christians can become, as Hebrews 5 says, dull of hearing? Dull of hearing. And yet I don't think God ever speaks an aimless word. 
Look at the people God uses to preach. I mean, look what he uses. And yet he can take flawed individuals and he can take dumb preachers and give you a revelation. Isn't that amazing? But you see, it all comes down to my heart. This boy said, I would like to have mine. I would like to have it now because I want to live the abundant life. Daddy, I'm stuck in this place. I want to I want to go out and I want to find out for myself and have my own experience and my own testimony. And I want to go out and see if the world is as bad as you said it was. And, and I want to find out maybe, you know, maybe I got a few moves I haven't tried yet. Maybe there's something here that needs to be discovered. Son, you're making a bad mistake. Okay, I, I, I hear what you say, pa, uh, uh, Dad. In your eyes, maybe I am making a mistake, but how do I know I am? I've got to find out for myself. Now, would you just give me what's mine so I can live my life and quit being told what to do? Sound like I'm reading a paper. The father said, okay, here's your portion. He gave it to him. That boy had a wad of money in his pocket. Like Psalmist said in Psalm 84, he said, they would not hearken unto my voice. They want to listen to the Philistine. I mean, to the, they want to listen to another voice. And so off he went. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and he took his journey into a far country. And there the Bible says he wasted his substance in riotous living. He took his money and ventured into a far country. I still think of New Orleans. I mean, that's a far country. I've been to New Orleans many times and been there during Mardi Gras and uh, been on Bourbon Street a couple times. If you think that'd be the place to go, you need to rethink if you're a Christian. Now, if you're wild and out of sorts, that might be a fun place to go. But fun is not fun when the devil seizes your life. It's just a day he waits so he can spring his trap. The slave to his passion. This boy here, who is now a slave, tired of the same old, same old, has watched the movies portray men his age or women this age of how much fun they can have and then this vibrant time of your life and you want to go out and experiment with a little hugging and kissing and, and you know, try sex out and maybe, you know, who knows. And, and I've never had a drink. I, it ain't going to hurt me. I'll just take one. See, this is what they see portrayed before them in the movies and, and on TV and they read about it in these ignorant books. And they think, you know, I wonder if I could do like that. I wonder if I could kiss like they don't kiss, they bite. And I wonder if I could do that. I wonder. It's all about lust. The lust of life, the pride of life, being somebody, being like somebody. And the word of God seems to pale in the minds of young folks who think like that. Or the 40-year-old who thinks he's about over the hill and needs to go out and see if he's still got what it takes. And has an affair, the ignoramus. Because he realizes after he's had his affair, all it left him with is dirt and darkness. He doesn't know how to get out of it either. He may not. 
Only God can intervene in a man's life and offer a way out. Only God. And he can leave you alone if he doesn't. But the prodigal heads for New Orleans. Man, he's going to have himself a good time. He goes down there because he's got some money. Makes a lot of friends. Because he buys around here and buys around there and the girls love him because he's got money. He can take them nice places and all the other things. But like everything the devil does and all of his promises, they all die. They come to an end. One day the man realized that there was no more money in his pocket and it wasn't manufactured by that pocket he had back there. It didn't grow in that pocket. He reached back there and it was gone. He was broke. He had no more drinks to buy. He had no more fancy women on his arm. He had no more dances to go to where everybody thought he was cool. Doesn't have it anymore. In fact, he's just a dirty old something that has lost everything. And one day it occurred to him in verse 14, one day it all made sense. Let me read verse 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he would have gladly eaten, filled his belly with the husk that the swine ate and no man cared for his soul. You're blessed. This is the grace of God if it comes. This is what it does. Grace didn't prevent you from making a fool of yourself or becoming a slave to your sin. God stood by and watched that happen, did not intervene. You became like that because of a choice you made. You chose to go out and act the way you did. He let you do it. And he has every right in the world to leave you there and judge you because of what you've done. He's right. He's fair. Legally, you're wrong. You made the wrong choices. You did it with your heart. You do not deserve anything that he has. Your sin has separated between you and God. And as far as God is concerned, he can shut the door on you. And for eternity, you're done. A lot of Christians are there. He doesn't have to draw you back. God didn't have to tap you on the shoulder 10 years later, 20 years later. But I'll tell you this, everybody that's brought back to God and woke up at some point and realized, like he said in verse 17, they came to their own senses. And they realized the darkness that they were in, like these Jews did in, in 1 Samuel 7. They realized nothing's right. Probably looked in the mirror one day and all his fancy clothes are dirty now. He can't even afford to wash them. And he's hungry. His money's gone. His friends don't hang around him anymore. They reject him. They scorn him. They used him. It's like they use you. The boys that use the girls and then they're gone. And vice versa. What a fool you've been. You knew better. Somebody taught you better than that. But no, 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 no. You had to find out for yourself. I'm going to New Orleans. I'm going to find out what life is all about. And there you are one day sitting in a dirty place with dirty clothes, hungry, broke. It's dark. 
There's nobody to call. You have no friends. You had friends in church. Because they would rescue you, but no, 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 you don't want that. That's the same old, same old stuff. You know, I, I want to live, do my thing. I want to see what I can do in life. I want to be somebody. All right, go ahead. Join millions and millions. Billions. There's probably six billion people on the earth. There are probably six billion people have lived since the beginning of time. Probably half as many people as ever lived are living right now. Go ahead and join them. The devil has never stopped to attract people to his playground where he can snare them just like that. Go ahead. You were told better. The word was right. Well, there was only 30 people there to hear it. It was still right. Amen. That's right. It was right when your mother told you one-on-one. -on -one. It was right. But no, no, no. You're too cute. You're too fancy. You're too bad. Your heart's bad. Can I say that? Amen. Your heart is wicked. You're a nice enough person as far as having social graces and kindness and know how to act and be sweetly disposed. But your heart is as wicked as a snake. Because given the chance, look out, New Orleans, here comes happiness. But all it is is another desperate soul finding himself in a dark place, not knowing what to do. Forsaken? Abandoned? Let me ask you a question. Could God have arranged all of this? Could God stand by and let this happen? Or could God have allowed it to happen because he has a plan for this undeserving soul? He could have left you out there where you were. In bed with that whatever you were with. He could have left you there. You could have died there and then it would be over. But no, you're still alive. You're still alive. And God has allowed all this, as part of his plan, all this darkness just to kind of fall down on you. It just sort of condescends down on top of you. There ain't nothing there. Like he said in Psalm 104, he hides his face from you and we're troubled. And what we knew that brief time back in church before I left my father, the times that I would watch people singing, I'd wonder, boy, they're really happy. And I'd hear things and my heart would say, you know, that's right. And I'd hear my father preach about things or tell me things about life and my heart would witness it. I'd say, you know, he is right then how can I wind up in a place like I am, absolutely broke, desperate, dirty, I probably started stinking by now, and I had to have some help, and I went to a friend, in verse 15, 16, he sent me out to feed pigs. What could be a worse thing for a Jew to do? Jesus is Jewish. What could be a worse job for a Jewish boy to have than to feed some heathens pigs? I've been around pigs a little bit. I don't mean human. I come talking about the <laughs> kind. And you know what? They not only get dangerous when they get big, but they're nasty. They stink. I preached one time in southern Illinois, and the preacher there had a friend had a big hog farm. I wanted to see it. 
He drove me over and parked out front. He said, you go in that door. And I said, well, I just want to look. I'm not going. He said, well, don't stay long. Don't stay long. He said, because it'll, it'll get on your clothes. Right. So we stopped and he wouldn't go in. So I walked in the door, walked inside and shut the door and went down and looked at the pigs this way. And it's, you know, a pig is a pig. The little pigs are little pigs and there was big pigs and little pigs. So I looked at the big pigs and the little pigs about as long as I am now. And I went back out, got in the car and he said, whew. See, I couldn't smell the pigs. But people who weren't around pigs could smell it. See, you may be out there playing with the world today. And you don't know that we know it. It comes in little by little. But anyway, we hear about it. I've heard stories. I can't believe that somebody could sit in this church and do that. You know, what I'd like to say is, why don't you go to some other church where they don't mind you doing that? Because I think what you're doing is an abomination. Why don't you go somewhere else? I don't say that, do I? Other than just saying, I didn't say it personally to anybody, did I? (laughs) Quote me right, all right. Pigs. So he was feeding these pigs. He was hungry. And the stuff he was feeding them with he got so hungry, even that stuff looked good. It's pretty bad, isn't he? And there's God smiling. It could have been me or it could have been you. Maybe I wasn't feeding pigs and maybe I wasn't in New Orleans, but I was a sinner. I've never given up on God. I've never gone back like that since I've been a Christian, but I know people have. And this message is hope for them. Because there came a day in verse 17, the revival starts. Now God does something. And when he came to himself, didn't we say earlier that the preparations of the heart in man are from the Lord? Here is a man one day who came to himself. Now the Greek words had to do with insanity. I could say this now. People in the world who aren't Christians are all crazy. (laughs) They're all crazy. They're all insane. Well, let me tell you why. Insanity doesn't have to be that bad a word. God made no man to live in the world, die, and perish in his sins. God did not make Adam and Eve to die a devil's death. They chose that way in life. Their offspring chose it. It's the choice of most people in the world now. It's just like at the cross. Do you think the soldiers who crucified Christ would have crucified him if they had known who he was? Why, no. If they knew who he was. If they knew that this was God in a body, the living Christ, the anointed one who came to save us from our sins, and you're going to kill him? Do you think Judas would have betrayed him if he had really known? Oh, he heard who he was. He didn't believe it. You see, God comes and speaks to a failing heart, a backslidden heart, or one that's trying to backslide. I might be talking to some of you. I don't know. I don't know. But God begins to speak while we're failing. 
or in our failed mode. And one day his revival power begins and you come to see what's going on. Oh God, I see what my problem is. I see what my problem is. God has your attention now, doesn't he? And you begin to shut your eyes and lament. Lamenting. But I can't go back to my father. I'm so ashamed. I wasn't ashamed then. I was cocky, arrogant, lofty, and haughty, and full of pride back then of who I thought I was and what I was going to be. And now I see what a miserable, wretched fool I have made of myself. Oh, I can't go back there. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. And thou shalt remember. He told him, he said, you're going to go into the land and you're going to live there. And you shall remember this. You shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to do what to you? To humble you, to prove you, and to know what was in your heart. To humble you and to prove you and know what was in your heart. In verse 3, and he, God, he humbled you and suffered you to hunger. And he fed you with manna which you did not know, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He made you to know that. Do you think the prodigal son finally came to the realization that he was altogether wrong and his father was altogether right? He was probably like the public and he couldn't even lift up his head towards the direction his father's home was. He had to bow his head because he was no longer worthy. I have no right to ask him for anything. And your heart is humbled and there's a lot of contrition there. And there's a lot of sadness. Listen to this one. Listen to what Jonah said. I won't ask you to turn to it. It's in the clean page. It's probably hard to find. But in Jonah chapter 2, listen at this. And I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, the fish or the whatever he was in. And you heard my voice. Thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and all thy waves passed over me in New Orleans. And I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again towards thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds are wrapped about my head. That's where a sinner is and a backslidden Christian is. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me. Forever yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. And when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. How could you? God reminded you of it. Then you remembered that same old, same old was might have been a good old, good old. Not so bad old. Not so bad old. My soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came unto me and to thy temple. 
They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Lying vanity, the promises that the devil gives and all the vain things that you can be and have and do and, and all the vain hopes that destroy lives, they're vain. They're vain. And yet he had his eyes open. He said, oh God. Remember what we said last week in the Psalms about a contrite heart? It's God who humbles you. And when you get humbled and you bow that head, you realize that you are a worm and not a man. You got nothing you can boast of. You're not Charlie Potatoes anymore. You're nobody. You're nothing. And you're worse than nothing because you're at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a whale called the belly of hell. It can't get any worse. Feeding pigs. Feeding pigs, smelling like them. Envying pigs. Feeding pigs. With friends who, they're not friends. It's dog eat dog out there on the other side of the world. And he got his attention. His eyes were open to the reality of the way that he had lived all this time. And because his heart was broken, and because he was contrite, and because he humbled himself, and he got up the courage to do this, we are told, if you go back to Luke 15, we are told that this is what he did. He said, verse 17, my father's servants have more than enough to eat. They have so much to eat, it's so good. I've been there, I've watched them. I've eaten with them. We never were hungry. And verse 18, I will arise. This is the beginning of repentance, folks. What is true repentance? How does it come? 2 Corinthians 7. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. Who causes us to repent? God. Why? Because he wants to reclaim you. He doesn't want to judge you. He wants you to be restored. He wants to revive you and bring you back into his good graces so there's benefit to you. He didn't call you to judge you and throw you away. Folks, you may slide away. You may think it's over. And for some, it probably is. But he didn't call you to let go of you. See, I believe, I believe Jesus said, no man can pluck them out of my hand. No man can. I don't believe he gets saved twice. I believe he gets saved once. I believe if you're born once, you die twice. You're born twice, you die once. God didn't save those who backslid. If you're backslid in here this morning, God ain't going to let go of you. You're going to New Orleans. There's a hog lot down there. He's made just for you. And little piggy piggies are all waiting on you to come down there so they can eat that food and go, yeah, 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 while they're eating slop. And while you're down there, though, the mercy and the goodness and the graciousness of God is going to come to your old smelly life, your old stinky, worthless, undeserving life, and say, I want you to come home. Come home, come home, ye who are weary. Come home. Where's home? Back where Father is. I'm not worthy. Yes, you are. Come on. Come on. Spirit of God tugs at you. Come on. Get out of there. Put that bottle down. That bottle's a God. It's ruined your life. Get rid of it. I don't know if I can. You probably can't, but I can. Come on. 
and he drags you back. In verse 18 and 19, through his contrition and his humility and his repentance and his sorrow of heart, he arose, the Bible said, verse 20, and came to his father. Probably one of the tenderest, most beautiful pictures of God's compassion in all of Scripture. And Jesus is telling it because it's red letters. And he came home dirty and nasty. Far off, his father saw him coming. You know what? Father never quit looking for him because the father knew he was coming back. He didn't know the condition maybe he was coming back in, but he knew he was coming back. And here come this boy walking up the road with his head bowed, no longer cocky, you know. He's just a sad and sorrowful figure coming back to God. Would not so much as lift up his eyes into heaven, but he said, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm no longer deserving of what you have. You know what the father did? Take heart in this. This is what he does. When revival comes, this is what happens in verse 20. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran. You ever see your daddy run? All right, then forget it. And his father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven. What I did, even my heart convicts me that God was against it. And I know you were, and I've sinned against you and your kindness and your goodness. I've done everything wrong. I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. But verse 22, the father said, let the revival begin. Let the revival begin because when you come back home, I'm going to restore you. I'm not going to tell my servants, go out there in the workroom and get that old set of coveralls, got grease all over them, and bring them in here and hose him off out there in the yard before you bring the nasty thing in the house. As bad as you've lived, you stay out there in the barn with the cows. Your father didn't bring you back to that. He didn't call you to that. What the angels rejoice over is that some nasty soul has come back to God or has come to the Lord. He said, put a robe on him. Get a robe. This label doesn't say Walmart. This label says Big Shop. Put the robe on him. But Father, that's a good robe. Put it on him. Put shoes on his feet. Put a ring on his hand. That's a symbol of prosperity. Put a ring on his hand. Send him go out there and kill the fatted calf. Remember the one we were going to take to the fair? The one that looks like this? Kill him. Let's roast him. We're going to have ourselves a revival. So they were beginning to make merry. Making melody in your heart. Why? You're saved. You're recovered. You're brought back. You may never forget the effects of your sin. It'll keep you humble the rest of your life, but you'll never forget the grace of God, which has lifted you up. And that prodigal brother out in the field, remember what he said? At the end of this chapter, he said, what's going on in there? I said, well, your daddy is throwing a big party for your brother. Your brother's come home. And the prodigal brother was all upset with that because he didn't know that he was entitled to all this stuff, too. But you know what he said? He heard that got his attention. You know what got the prodigal brother's attention? This is my last point. You know what got his attention? Revival time. Music and dancing. 
I think the Bible says that somewhere. I think it says in verse 25, and the elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard. What do you hear? I'll tell you one thing, the music he heard, you wouldn't hear today on some of this, what they call music today. And it wouldn't be a hymn either. This joy, his joy, overflow. It'd be something that magnified God. It would be something that thrills the heart. Music that embraces the moment that God has visited us. The time of refreshing has come to this young man. He's been brought back. He's been recovered. He's been revived. His life is forever changed. He'll go to heaven now. He'll make it now because his father has refreshed him. Thou has turned my morning into. Well, not in the church. You ever seen them dance at ball games? You ever seen them dance at parades down the street? Politicians? You ever see them raise their hands? Politicians do this? You ever see college presidents do it at a ball game? Why? We won. Well, this guy won too. The sinner was brought back. He won. And he raised his hand. Praise God with a loud voice. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. What made that all happen? The grace of God. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, as you look upon us this morning, where we sit, where I stand, those who watch this in other places, only you can see the condition of our hearts that are seated here, that are assembled here, who watch. We can hide our hearts from each other, but we can't hide them from you. If we're drifting along this morning, if we're just wandering around, it's because our heart's wrong. Something in there controls us. Something besides your spirit is in control of our life. We've given place to the devil somewhere. But you didn't call us to be like that. You brought us out of darkness, you said. You've loosed the chains of darkness. You've opened the prison doors. Everything that is bound man, you have undone. And yet your people seem bent on getting back in those chains and back in those dungeons. I ask you in the name of Jesus this morning to speak to every heart that listens, every heart, and to remind them if they will give up their idols and prepare their hearts, they're on their way to revival, to recovery, where life deepest purpose and joys are realized. Look over this room this morning, Heavenly Father. See if there's one that needs this morning to deal with you. See if there's one that needs to make a move this morning. See if there's not somebody here, Lord, that needs to go to the garden and make a decision. But bring us back, Father. Bring us back together with a renewed, refreshed interest in spiritual matters. Bring us back with a song. 
bring us back with music. For in all revivals, significant revivals in history, Lord, music was always a big deal. Give us that again. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? I would remind you this morning before we sing, if indeed today God speaks to you, you don't have to come up here to make it right. You can make it right where you are, but you have to make it right. Let me tell you something. If you get saved, if you had an experience with the Lord, you need to tell it. Some things need to be told so that we can all hear it, all recognize, so we can watch you and pray for you. You can't light your candle hide under a bushel. I don't know whose heart God touches in meetings like this. I don't know. It's not my work to save anybody. It's God's work to save. My work is to proclaim. I'll leave the saving up to God. But if he does, I want to know it. We all want to know it. I'm looking forward to that day that the saved can come up here and give a testimony and say, the Lord broke my heart and saved me last night and brought me out of New Orleans and brought me back to Shelbyville and set me free. You got to tell somebody that puts you on the spot. If you deal with God today, let him deal with you, but make sure when you come back, you dealt with. Amen? Amen. All right, Scott. Amen. Just as Amen. I am Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot Just as I am, thou wilt receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, in that thy promise I I remember that. I end my singing of that with I came. I came, verse 2. Whose blood can cleanse each spot. Bonnie had already taken off and I was right behind her. 
And I want to thank the Lord for his goodness to me and her. And the fact that what he started then, he's never let go of. It's never gone away. That for 40 some years, it's never cooled off. It's never stopped being all that God said it would be. It is still our life. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Thank you, Jesus. I pray the Lord will bless you and keep you. I pray the Lord will cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. I pray the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, that you'll be blessed as you go out, that you'll be blessed when you come in, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Amen.